coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, happy Thursday. Going to hear a lot of talk over the next few days, weeks, maybe even months, heading into the summer about uh, government spending, the debt ceiling, and crashing the economy. Mostly because as we awaken to learn today, U.S. Treasury is taking some pretty extreme measures to keep the United States from defaulting on its debts as a looming debt ceiling vote, well, needed, needed for weeks now, is going to become a political football for the very slim majority house held by Republicans right now. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told lawmakers last week that the government would hit that statutory debt ceiling today, and it did, after which extraordinary measures would need to be taken to keep the government from defaulting on its debt obligations. So some of those include, um, well, she said so in a letter to Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader. Uh, She said that she would be suspending new investments in civil service retirement and disability fund and the U.S. Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund uh, from now until June 5th of 2023. But she also, according to CNBC.com, warned that both moves are subject to, quote, considerable uncertainty if Congress does not pass a bill to increase the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. Now, we have to remember, the debt ceiling isn't something mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. It's just one of those things that came into being as use for exactly what Republicans are using it for right now, as a means to enact policy to target social welfare programs. Okay, so I'm being a touch overly simplistic and mm, a bit partisan, but I will let uh, a video from the Brookings Institute explain it better. The Brookings Institution and senior fellow Phil Wallach put out a video that why the debt ceiling exists and long story short, politics. So good reasons why we have a debt ceiling. Short answer is there aren't a whole lot. We (laughs) got the debt ceiling without really reasoning at all into it. We used to have a situation where the federal budget was tiny, the national debt was tiny back in the 19th century. And at that point, Congress would pass every bond issue individually. Eventually, we got something more like the debt ceiling around World War I, when Congress actually wanted to give the Treasury Department more discretion to manage the debt. And eventually, that evolved into what we have today, which is just one one limit on the debt that says total outstanding debt cannot be above that, and Congress has to periodically raise that limit. A debt ceiling sounds like a pretty good idea. I mean, government debt sounds bad, and especially $20 trillion of, of federal debt, which is about what we have today. And it's certainly the case that when you ask the American public if they think having a hard ceiling on the debt is a good idea, they say yes. And if you ask them, should we raise that ceiling, they'll say no. The problem is that the debt ceiling tries to stop debt without actually being attached to the processes that generate that debt. So we have 
an appropriations process where we decide what to spend on discretionary spending every year. We have entitlement statutes that obligate our spending, and we have tax laws that determine how much revenue comes in. Those are the laws that actually determine how indebted this country will actually become, and the debt ceiling is really something of an afterthought. So a default on the debt and a shutdown are two separate things. They often are getting rolled together in a lot of media coverage because the fight about the budget and getting appropriations to fund the government for this year are rolled together in practice with the question of whether we should raise the debt limit and give ourselves the money to pay our bills at all. But they are two distinct questions. They could be separated out entirely. Uh, we could raise the debt limit so that we have no problem servicing the debt while still having a government shutdown. So if for some reason Congress and the President were to fail to raise the debt ceiling in time to allow us to have the funds to pay all our bills on time, uh, we, we could miss a payment. I think if that were to happen over a protracted period, weeks or months, that would be truly disastrous. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, all of this U.S. debt that around the world is treated as risk-free collateral uh, and is crucial to the global financial system would start to look risky, and that would likely cause a, a very bad financial crisis. But if we just missed one payment, I think there's good reason to think that we could treat it as an unfortunate misunderstanding and get back on track pretty fast. There's really nothing preventing us from making our debt payments on time other than the debt ceiling. And so I think if it came to actually missing payments, our congressional leaders and the president would find a way to, to get it out, to get the debt ceiling raised, to get the payments made with, uh, with some late fees attached. And, and probably we could avoid a very serious disaster. So if it's so obvious that the debt ceiling is bad, why don't we just get rid of it? Well, first, as we already mentioned, there's the facial uh, logical appeal of, of the idea. And so it pulls well with the public. It's, it's hard to get rid of. It's, it's a politically costly thing. But beyond that, there is, a, there is a sophisticated defense of the debt ceiling that some fiscal conservatives will make. They'll say, sure, of course, we wouldn't have chosen to put in this debt limit in if we were just rationally designing a system from scratch. But since we do have it, it provides a good opportunity to force us to periodically revisit the debt. Mm -hmm. And it'll even give fiscal conservatives a chance to make some demands on, on sort of disciplining our spending going forward. The problem is that in practice, it tends to draw fiscal conservatives' fire away from the, the fights that are actually the most consequential. I've called it the debt ceiling is like a roach motel for fiscal conservatives. They can, they can check in, but they're going to have to concede everything important before they check out because in practice the debt ceiling is always going to get raised. Now Republicans would have you believe that the reason the debt is so out of control is because of just punch drunk spending. We are just drunk with the power on the left to spend, 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 spend on willy-nilly frilly little projects. And yet we look at things like our entitlement programs not as excesses, but as necessities. Meanwhile, we left Afghanistan, we left Iraq, we're not at war for like the most prolonged stretch in, what, more than 100 years? And yet our defense spending keeps going up. We're responsible for 45% of the global military spending, y'all. 45%. We're just one country. 
But it's not just about spending. It's about the income as well. And we all know that the Republican Party for the last four plus decades has been attacking our income tax and our corporate tax, mathematically disproportionately, by the way, for the well-heeled. Yeah, we'll get our little pittance, but the folks at the top have been getting their taxes lopped in half or better. Listen to this from PolitiFact, by the way. National debt is outgrowing the limit that Congress approved. Now, Congress faces a choice. Does it let the debt grow bigger, or does it upend the government's ability to pay its bills? The Democrats can deal with this all by themselves. That's Rick Scott, a Republican senator from Florida. He pins the blame on Democrats. In an op-ed in the Orlando Sentinel, he wrote, because Democrats are responsible for the massive spending and debt growth, they alone need to take responsibility for raising the debt limit. Did Democrats alone get the country into this situation? It's time for a truth meter Minute. Yes. Hi, I'm John Greenberg with PolitiFact, a newsroom that specializes in giving you the facts pure and simple. If you like our style, stay tuned at the end for how to keep us going. Scott's take on the Democrats and the debt limit is the Republican Party line. Top Republican leaders have been saying this for weeks. This is a totally democratic government. They have an obligation to raise the debt ceiling. <laughs> and they will do it. The only people that will get any blame for this is the Democrats and their management. It's entirely of their own making. The Democrats are doing all of the spending. But here's the thing about the national debt. It's been building for a long time. Right now, it's at about $28.4 trillion. You don't get there overnight. The national debt grows anytime Washington spends more than it collects in taxes. Here's how the debt grew under each president since World War II. Two things stand out. It took a big jump under President Ronald Reagan, and it took an even bigger jump under President George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. When you add it up, about 60% of all the post-war debt came when a Republican was in the White House, and about 40% under Democratic ones. Mm -hmm. In fairness, no president is totally responsible for any of this. It's Congress that passes spending and tax laws, and presidents end up signing bills that might not be exactly what they want. Senator Scott might have been talking about more recent history, but there too the numbers don't add up. Under Biden, the Democrats have added to the debt, with a major COVID relief bill that passed without a single Republican vote. But under President Donald Trump, the debt grew by $7.8 trillion. Mm -hmm. Some of that came from the Republican tax cut bill that Democrats opposed. Some came from spending on defense, social programs, and COVID relief bills that both parties supported. Bottom line, both parties have added to the national debt. Time now for the rating. Scott said Democrats alone brought the country to this point with the national debt. The numbers show that Republicans, in history and as recently as under Trump, did at least as much as Democrats to add to the debt. We rate this claim mostly false. That's it for this truth meter Minute. If you like our work, go to politifact.com and see all our fact checks. By the way, that was from a year ago. The national debt is now more than $32 trillion. But back to my initial point, the reason the debt ceiling seems to exist now is just as a tool to nuance spending policy. The Republicans had no interest in playing politics with the debt ceiling the three times they raised it when Donald Trump was president. Yeah, did you know that? Yeah. Didn't come up once while he was president. Funny how that works, right? The economic repercussions, however, are not going to be partisan. We're all going to feel this, if it's anything like it was in 2011. 
In that case, we didn't actually default on our debt. It was simply an impending threat of default. Stock prices plunged, mortgage rates spiked, the S&P was downgrading America's credit rating, and it took about a year for our economy to recover. We're still dealing with a post-pandemic supply chain crunch, gas price spike from the Russia-Ukraine war. We are just now getting inflation under control. It's moving back in the direction we want it to, outside of the cost of eggs, which I think has something to do with some sort of avian flu, right? But we're just now getting our economy to a place where we're not concerned about skyrocketing costs while job growth is still happening and the talk of recession that was so prevalent during the election cycle seems to have diminished, if not minimized altogether. And yet now we have this political football that Republicans are willing to use to crash the economy for political gain. Okay, we've got a lot to get to today in the show. Who the hell is Katara Ravash and why is she all in my newsfeed? And also, she looks like George Santos. Uh, I'll, I'll explain <laughs> next segment here on The Ron Show. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. 